That was beautiful. Thank you, choir. One of my favorite scriptures this morning I'll share with you. It's from the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And in your pew Bible, it's page 226 to 227. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we are able in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has a perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts our fear. For a fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bonnie. I want to say thanks to Quentin for your prayer, and his wife Tisha is also with us today, and we're so glad that you could make St. Paul's a part of your reunion weekend. You blessed us by being here. Question, who do you look like? When people see you, who else do they see? People tell me I look like my mother. It's not really true. No. I mean, we do smile exactly the same, and we're the same height, and we tend to stand in the same way, and we use the same hand gestures, and of course, the older I get, the more I often, often I say stuff that sounds just like her. Okay, so maybe I look a little like my mother. 
When you see me, you see some reflections of Elizabeth Lippolt. And if you knew her, you would know what a compliment that actually is. What about you? When people see you, what reflections do they see? It doesn't just have to be about inherited genes. My father was deeply influenced by his grandfather and one of his uncles. Russell Schooley was a kind, gentle, patient, quiet man, a little different from my quick-tempered grandfather. Now, my father's character is in large part a reflection of the relationship he had with his uncle. When people see you, what reflections do they see? Those might not be reflections that anybody else could name out loud, but you know that they're there. You know. You know what has shaped and what has influenced you. You know what you have received from others that you're now reflecting back out into the world. And now, because we're sitting here in church, here comes the unsurprising turn to this question. When people see you, to what degree do they see the love of God reflecting back out to them? When people see you, do they see a reflection of the love of God? Last week in the sermon, I shared with you briefly the process that we used over the summer to come up with some new language for our mission here at St. Paul's. A mission statement, it tells us what we're about, what we're doing here, what is our purpose. It's like our baseline. What is St. Paul's doing here on the corner of Jackson and Grant Streets in Papillion, Nebraska? What are we about? Well, it's this. Let's see that slide. Generations of disciples reflecting God's love to our community and the world. You know, you could memorize that. It's short enough. Just 12 words. You could do it. I believe in you. You could do it. I'm going to keep on saying it, and we're going to have it on the website, and we're going to put it on the screen each and every week before church, and we're going to have it lots of other places for you to see. You're going to be seeing this around a lot. And that's the point of a mission statement, to keep it in front of us, to have it close at hand, to have it lodge into our minds. It's, it's meant to help guide us and to ground us. So I'm just saying you could memorize it. You could. Okay. Generations of disciples reflecting God's love to our community and the world. Last week, we dove deep into the first part of that statement, the generations of disciples part. And I, I wonder if you've had a chance this week to connect to somebody here at St. Paul's that's a different generation from you. If not, no worries. You have a brand new chance today to do just that. All those great kids that were up here putting hearts around. You could check in with one of them, asking them what they did in Sunday school. Hint, it has to do with cookies. I know. So ask them about that. Or you could find a member of the youth group and ask them how youth worship was. Or you could find somebody older than you here and, and ask them how their week was. They could use maybe a moment of connection. We have been here for 160 years as a strong and a vital congregation. And a big part of that is because we have shared and passed on the faith from generation to generation for all those years. And we don't aim to stop now. So that's the first part, generations of disciples. The second part of the statement, reflecting God's love. This is such a powerful and an important phrase. I honestly, I hardly know where to start in exploring it with you. 
You know, it may not seem at first like it's such a big deal, but believe me, it is. It is packed full of theological truth and power, and I, I really, I love it that it is a part of our mission here at St. Paul's. Because God's love, of course, is at the very heart of our faith. It's like the axis on which everything we do here turns. And we can see this in a hundred places in scripture, but one really powerful place is what Bonnie just read for us from this letter we call 1 John. The scripture proclaims that love is so central to who God is that we can say God is love. It's right there in verse 16, God is love. Now, of course, that's not the only way we could describe God. God is just and merciful and faithful and true. God is beautiful. God is wise. God is forgiving. God is patient. God is powerful. God is holy. God is kind. But I think all those other things can be included in the word love. I would challenge you to come up with a characteristic of God, a way to describe who God is that we know from scripture or experience that would not fit inside the word love somehow. God is love. God is love. That is a full and complete statement about who we know God to be. And when we say that, when we say God is love, we're not being wishy-washy somehow. And you know this because you, you have loved deeply. I've seen you do it. And you know that deep love, true love, it's not wishy-washy at all. It's not weak. It's not soggy. Deep, true love is strong. It's incredibly strong. True love can weather disappointments and mistakes and betrayal. Love is so strong that it can withstand broken promises and incredible distances and that slow, monotonous passing of time. Love is so strong that it can endure awful pain and it can sacrifice great things and, and it can work diligently to provide safety and comfort and hope. Love is strong, stronger than death, we read in Song of Solomon. And we know that's true too, don't we? Love is stronger than death. It's quite possible to go on loving someone after they die just as fully as you did while they were alive. Love is strong. And you don't even have to be able to touch something to love it. Love is bigger than that. Love is strong, and the writer of 1 John was counting on that. His letter was meant for this church community that was struggling in a serious way with how to get along with each other. They had conflicts that were deep, and, and people in their community had damaged feelings on all sides, so he was trying to encourage the church and build it back up to bring them back together when he writes this letter, and he tries to remind them about what it means to live a Christian life. So he says, hold fast to the knowledge that you've always had, Remember about this faith that we have in Jesus, who came in the flesh, who was a gift of God, Jesus who reconciled us and restored our relationship with God, and then live out boldly what you know about the Christian life. And what is it you know? You know that God is love. And to understand that means to love other people. When we know that God is love, we love other people. Jesus told us the same thing. Remember, he said, what are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The writer of 1 John says the same thing. He says, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. Now, long ago and far away in seminary at Candler School of Theology, the best seminary in the world, so it's said, I had New Testament with a professor named Carl Holliday. And he points out that this argument that first John is making is like this. He says, if we're children of God, if we are children of God, then we reflect who we know God to be. Our behavior reflects who we believe God to be. If we know ourselves to be children of God, if we believe God is our heavenly parent, then we must see that our own character, our own behavior, our own being is rooted in the character and behavior of God. Like mother, like daughter, right? Like father, like son, like parent, like child, like God, so are we. We are made in the image of God. As God's children, we reflect God's image. So if we believe that God is righteous, as God's children, we want to act righteously. If we believe God to be love, then as God's children, we love one another. This is the crux of the message of 1 John. If we know God to be love, then we love one another. Okay? So this reflecting God's love that we have in our mission statement, it is very, very biblical. People who know God's love share that love with other people. It's fundamental to the scripture. It's fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. It is also very, very Wesleyan, super Methodist, this statement actually is. I want to do just another minute of theology with you because I think this is cool. I get excited about it. It's one of my favorite things about Wesleyan theology, and it's why when someone in the mission statement committee suggested that we use this word reflecting, I got really excited. Okay, so John Wesley, he's that guy from 18th century England that founded the Methodist Church. He did not mean to found a whole new church, but it happened, as it does. That's a story for another day. But he was a priest and a writer and a preacher and a theologian. And you might remember that in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we read that we are made in the image of God. The scripture says, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. All right, so we are made in the image of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Does it mean that God has hands and feet and noses and hair like we do? Is that what it means? No. Okay, let's just, no, it does not mean that. It does not mean that. Wesley said what it means is we carry the image of God in such that we are able to receive the love of God and reflect that love, that image, back out to other creatures. So it's not like we have an inherent possession in the image of God, but this active living relationship we have with God is what makes us uh, have the image of God in us, right? He didn't make this idea up himself. He was deeply influenced by the writing of what we call the Eastern Fathers. These were teachers and preachers and bishops in the first 500 years of the church who lived mostly in Greece and Syria. And they often used uh, the metaphor of humanity like a mirror, a mirror, okay? 
So called to mirror God in our own lives, but reflect that grace back out into the world, and thus to mediate the life of God to the rest of creation. So just think for a second about a mirror. Think if you have a mirror, and if it's sitting in a dark room, like you can't see it, right? You don't even know what's there. But in the middle of that dark room, what happens if you shine a light on that mirror? All of a sudden, the mirror will shine the light to the whole room. The whole room, everything will be lit up. As soon as the light stops shining on that mirror, it will once again disappear from view. The church fathers, the Eastern fathers, and John Wesley both say, we are like the mirror. We receive the love and mercy and grace of God, and it lights us up. It lights us up, but not just for ourselves. It lights us up, and we get to reflect that light and that love to the world. That mercy, that grace that we receive, we reflect it to the world. But, you know, we can only reflect it in the measure that we receive it. The love that we get from God is the love that we have to give to others. And importantly, because this this image of God, this reflection of God is a reflection, it can be distorted, it can be dimmed, it can go dark. So if we're cut off, if we cut ourselves off from the source, then we have no love to give to the world. So the love we give to the world, it's actually a sign of our relationship with God. The more deeply we are connected to God, the more holy, the more naturally, the more beautifully God's love is broadcast out into the world from us. Reflecting God's love, that's what we're about. And it requires us to be deeply connected to Jesus It requires us to know and trust the saving love of God. It means that we know God and we work to know him even more, deeper and deeper, that we're trying to grow in our faith, that we trust as we grow, as we receive, and we love God more deeply, we will share more and more of that love with the world and the world will be changed by it. So this business, reflecting God's love. In those three little words, we have a call to faith, We have a call to growth, we have a call to share, we have a call to action. That's a lot wrapped up in that middle statement. It's central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it is central to our purpose here at St. Paul's. Okay, I know you're as excited about that as I am. (laughs) Next week, we are going to talk more about exactly what it means to reflect that love to the community and the world. But I have a challenge for you this week, of course, and that is, I want you to pay attention. I want you to have your eyes open for the ways that you yourself and those around you are reflecting God's love. I want you to ask yourself a few times this week, maybe at the end of the day, you could ask yourself, what image am I portraying to the world? What did people see reflected in me today? Did I reflect a sense of selfishness, of impatience, of fear, of anger, of pettiness? Or did I manage to reflect the image of God to others? Did people look at me today and see peace? Did they see kindness? Did they see self-control? Did they see generosity? Did they see trust? Did they see love? 
Ask yourself that question a few times this week. Pay attention to the people around you and see where you can see the image of God reflected in them, in what they're doing, in what they're saying. Friends, the world needs a lot more of Jesus. And we have been given the gift of God's love to reflect as far and as wide as we can. Thanks be to God. Amen.